0: Down among Brazilians Coffee beans grow by the billions So they've got to find Those extra cups to fill They got an awful Lot of coffee In Brazil You can't get cherry soda Cause they've got to sell Their quota And the way things are I guess they never will They've got a zillion tons Of coffee
1: Indeed they have, but today we're going to hear from our special guest, uh, Philip Bella, who's going to take us through the farming regions of the world where coffee comes from uh, and where it fits into the grand scheme of things as the second uh, instalment of his series on coffee. So good afternoon, Philip.
2: Good afternoon. How are we? Very,
1: very well, thank you, and uh, thank you for joining us once again.
2: You're welcome, you're welcome and uh, last time we covered a little bit about obviously the coffee and the landscape in Australia. Today we want to talk about the farms and of course you've got such a diverse range of listeners. Uh, There'll be many of the places and countries we talk about today where people come from um, such as Brazil, Vietnam, Colombia you know, Indonesia, Honduras, Ethiopia, all all different parts of the world, India, Peru.
1: Indeed, that's true. So um, please uh I mean, I think I mentioned to you previously that I sort of thought coffee mainly came from Brazil and sort of um, North Africa. But um, you, you very promptly put me correct on that. But would you like to tell the rest of our listeners?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, look, so coffee was discovered in Ethiopia. So in the 1300s was um, where coffee was discovered. And Calde, um the famous story of the goat herder, is very true discovered the 1300s in Ethiopia goats chewing on these berries and jumping around and a lot of people don't understand that coffee is actually grown as a cherry um, and inside that cherry is the beans there's two beans inside a cherry but um, the old goat story is very true Cowdy, the goat herder um, in Ethiopia uh, 1300s and um, but when we talk about countries the reason why Brazil's the famous one is Brazil is actually the top producing nation in the world and to give you an idea, Two point seven million tons. Seven. Uh, Two point seven million tons per annum. The next closest is Vietnam at one point five million tons, um, and then you've got Colombia, which is about seven hundred and fifty-four thousand tons. So you start to see Brazil is over double. You um, know, close to double of what um, uh, the closest rival in Vietnam, which is nearly double or at double of what Colombia, which is number three. Uh, but coffee's grown in about ninety countries, ninety countries around the world. It'll virtually grow anywhere. If you're lucky enough to get yourself a plant and put it in the backyard, as long as you give it plenty of water and there's runoff and you don't let it go mouldy, um, it'll grow. And there, it's a beautiful tree. It's a nice green, bushy tree. Uh, it and flowers a beautiful white flower, and the flower turns into cherries, and inside that cherry is what we know as a coffee bean. So, very interesting because um, something that gets asked a lot is what came first, coffee or tea. And as I said, the first traces of coffee go back to the thirteenth uh, century, but the first traces of tea go back to the tenth century. So, very, very interesting stuff.
1: So that that, that is interesting, Philip. And I, I was just. Uh one of my colleagues sitting here in the studio um, asked me, what is the story about the goat herder? So would you mind just yeah, well, it's um,
2: Yeah, so Cowdy um, was just out. You know, they used to, obviously the goats used to go out and all the rest of it. And Cowdy saw that this um, group of goats were nibbling on these cherries, you know, big bright red cherries nibbling on the cherries. And, you know, uh, half an hour, an hour later, these goat, the goats that had been chewing on the cherry trees had a lot more energy. They were jumping around, you know, they, they were full of life. Um, and the moment that he saw that they were full of life, they went back and explored the cherry tree. And from that tree, they then obviously squished the cherry. They found that there was two beans. They tried biting it. Unfortunately, like goats, the teeth of a human are not as strong. Um, so they were trying to work out ways that they could actually, you know, so they put these beans over fire. So they put them over fire and they found that as they put them over fire, they caramelized and combusted, which is what we'll talk about next week, the actual roasting process. Um, So they put them on fire, they grew, they expanded, they combusted and then they could chew them and they started chewing these coffee beans. And I mean, some people to this day still do that. Um, Some people prefer to have them dipped in chocolate before they chew them, which is quite nice, the chocolate coated coffee beans. But um, that's the story of the goat to day It was all because I saw these goats acting differently to anything else that they thought, well, that plant's obviously doing it. Let's explore it further. And if you look at it now, coffee being the second most drunk beverage in the world, um, discovered by goats, it's a pretty phenomenal story.
1: It is, and it make, make, makes me wonder uh, what other animals have played a part in um, the uh, evolution of coffee. And, I, and I, I, I recall being in Indonesia a few years ago, um, yeah, he- he- hearing the story up there of um, the uh, cat, the, correct? Yes, the Kopi
2: Kopi is coffee. Luwak is the type of cat. So Kopi Luwak coffee at one stage the world's most expensive coffee, um, because the coffee is in, in terms of price is not done by quality; it's done by supply and demand. So it's pure economics in coffee, a lot like wine. A bottle of a cheap bottle of wine and expensive bottle of wine cost roughly the same to produce. It um, obviously depends on the country and the labor costs, but in terms of processing, the same, but supply and demand depicts it. Now, Kopi Luwak, I actually went and visited the farms in Indonesia, and what happened with the Kopi Luwak was, so Kopi means coffee, Luwak is the cat. They found that this cat um, would go up and go, in, when they were roaming wild, would go out into the bush, into the plantations. It would chew, it would chew certain beans, it would then chew them and it digests them. Now, when it came out as species, which sounds terrible and probably is, um, when it came out the rear end of the cat, they then took it and they studied, a bunch of scientists studied the enzymes in the coffee. And what they found is that the coffee that had been digested by the cat um, had, you know, had, had lower enzymes and all the rest of it. They then went through to wash it, taste it, and they found that the coffee, the same coffee from the same tree, and this is an important part of the story. The same coffee from the same part of the tree. However, the coffee that the cat chose and digested tasted better than the coffee that the cat had not touched. So as good humans do, um, in sometimes for good and sometimes for bad, they went about commercializing this process. And so what they did, which was unfortunate, is they started caging the cats. And they force-fed the cats coffee bags. And then when it came out their backside, they would get it, they would roast it. Fast forward many years, what they actually figured out is that it wasn't the process of the cat digesting the bean that actually made it better. It's that the cat had the innate ability to choose the best beans when it was grown on a tree in the wild. So the moment they started to force feed the cat, it changed the whole philosophy. It was actually the cat having an instinct to choose a better bean while it was growing in the wild in the plantation versus it actually going through their process in their stomach. So it's quite a funny story, and that's why the price, yeah, I hardly hear about kopi luwak anymore because they discovered that it was actually a fallacy um, the moment they started caging the cat.
1: Yeah, ter- terrific. And, uh, you know, as, as you say, the the thought of eating or, or, or making your coffee with pre-digested coffee beans uh, does does not really inspire me to, to become a coffee drinker. Yeah, uh, but, I agree. Um, so we, we, we've seen goats right back in the early days of coffee. We've seen yeah. Indonesian cats not so many years ago. Are there any other animals? Elephants? Been- been,
2: yeah, for elephants, I think, is the current one. I mean, I have to be honest, I don't cover it that closely, but I believe that elephants is the the latest one that they've been doing it with. But again, it's... Uh, it, it, it's, it's it's marketing right it really comes down to the marketing because I don't believe and even when I got to try what they considered the best coffee luwak in the world it wasn't that good um, but again in saying that coffee is personal you know the way you drink coffee the way you love what I like somebody else doesn't like you know and that's normal and that's the ecosystem it's the same for food it's the same for Cars, brands, anything it is. But, um, you know, what we find around the world is, is, and that's why the way people drink coffee around the world is completely different um, to other people. So we always say coffee's personal. So, you know, the Italians drink 90% of their coffee black. um, The Australians drink 90% of their coffee with milk. The Americans drink, you know, 50-50. 50% 50 of coffee is with milk and 50% is filter. Mm -hmm. Um, They drink about 70% of their coffee through filter systems in big cups. So different parts of the world drink their coffee completely different.
1: Yeah, that's that that, that. that is an interesting point. And as you say, it is very personal because there are those who sort of like the um, robusta style, and those who like the arabica style, and and whatever. So um, let's talk about some of the countries that grow uh, coffee and um, a little bit about their um, their uh, evolution. I guess is probably the word.
2: Well, some of the countries, I mean, you've got countries like India um, who were never known for coffee really, um, you know, say 15, 20 years ago. And then they started producing what they call um, um, Kapi, a Robusta, which made them famous. It became because Robusta was often seen as a low-quality coffee. Um, all of a sudden, they produced this Robusta known as um, a coffee um, uh, Royale. So Indian coffee Royale, it's now dearer than, more, than most Arabicas. And what you find is that, again, it becomes a because of supply and demand. But what happened is the country of India went about saying, right, we can actually produce good coffee. So the moment they started producing good coffee, they put a tariff in place for anyone that tried to import roasted coffee, because they want you to buy your coffee in, in India, which I think is quite smart. Um, if you go over across into the middle, so you know if you look at the, the map as a flat um, place, India on the left, you come to the middle with around the China region, um, it's it's China's now started to grow coffee, so China's got into the agriculture of coffee and figured out that they can grow coffee as well. And some of the Chinese, um, you know, coffee we've tasted is actually very good. Now they haven't figured out how to grow it on a large scale yet, um, but they're getting better and better. Um, and as we know, the Chinese are very good at um, you know learning quickly and 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 copying what other people do. So you know, which is fantastic. The other thing, um, you go across to America. Well, America, North America doesn't grow coffee, but Central and South America does, and they're very well known for, you know, Central America is known for its dark, earthy chocolates, and South America is known for its fruity, acidity coffees. Now, what's common amongst all these countries is that coffee is a commodity. Co- coffee for a lot of countries, especially in South and Central America, is um, their most traded commodity, and it's nearly a currency. So it, it props up and supports families so um 50 over you know in in 2020 there was a study where over 50 countries growed coffee across asia south america africa the caribbean central america but 67 percent of the total production comes from american countries now this is an interesting stat it's the the industry of growing coffee is a source of livelihood for more than 20 million people globally so 20 million um, families globally Right, are involved in growing coffee, which is staggering when you think 20 million families across 90 countries, well, 50, they found 90 countries, but 50 commercial countries that grow coffee. That, um,
1: that, huge. That, 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 is, that is huge, Philip, and I, I guess when you think about it that probably a lot of these people would actually be working in the, the plantations, the, the, the fields, sort of at a, a very hands-on level of the, uh, the farming Um, and presumably come from fairly poor um, backgrounds uh, and and sort of underprivileged families and things. So, you know, just to support that many people um, is a... You know, coffee should get a pat on the back, shouldn't
2: it? Oh, I agree, I agree. And, and I mean, when you look at, you know, who imports the most coffee, it's actually UK and the US and Austria, Italy. They're the world's biggest importers of green coffee. But here's an interesting stat... um, you know, is that the world's top coffee-consuming countries sit in you know in in Finland, Norway, Iceland, Denmark, Netherlands, Sweden. These are all the top um, coffee-consuming. So Finland consumes approximately twelve kilos per person per annum. Right, they're number one. If you if you go down to say number five, right, um, which is the Netherlands, it's eight point four kilos per person. Australia doesn't even rank in the top ten. Italy is at number nine. Um, but Italy, so we say Italians didn't invent coffee. They just made it famous, you know, um, they, and, and what made them famous was the Italians actually brought out the 1945 was the first commercial coffee machine um, by Achilles Gadger, which is a brand now, well-known gadget, G-A-W-G-A. So you'll find that even countries like Italy that are not coffee growers, um, but they actually made coffee famous because of the way that it's a cultural beverage, because of obviously inventing the first espresso machine um, globally, they became put on the map. So it's an interesting and it, you know to sum up um, the segment and such is that coffee bonds people together. No matter what country you come from, no matter what geographic, what demographic, coffee is an amazing product that bonds countries and communities together. As many as your listeners would know.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's interesting, and um, you know, many, many people in Australia, of course have um, Italian backgrounds coming, you know, sort of post-war um, and it's sort of, I don't know, it amazes me the the way that people in Australia have adopted coffee as a an everyday beverage but um, probably we don't have the, the cool climates in the way that they do in Scandinavia and other parts of Northern Europe so perhaps that's why they are larger drinkers of coffee. Would that be a... Potential slant on it? Yeah,
2: for sure. It's that, it's that, it's lifestyle. Um, You know, they also start work later in the morning, uh, which is a big one that people don't think about, you know, and that's what I want to cover in next week's segment where we'll talk about, um, you know, Australian coffee drinking as such. You know, uh, well, sorry, not next week, on the last segment. So next week we'll talk about roasting, but um, on the last segment the week after, we'll talk about actually how Australian, you know, purely hone in on Australia and what makes up Australian coffee know. But the biggest, um, there's a lot of factors. One is population. Um, Obviously two is climate, because you're right. Um, So that's why Melbourne consumes more coffee than where someone in Queensland does. Um, Melbourne and Sydney are always going to consume more than say what WA and Queensland does because we've got warmer weather. Um, But it's also the time of operation. The Scandinavian countries start work later. European countries start later, work later. So they drink more coffee in the morning um, and then they drink coffee in the afternoon because they're working till 9, 10 at night. So it's also lifestyle, and that's something that people don't often think about, is lifestyle has a big impact on how people, and as it does with restaurants. Like in Queensland, we don't have daylight saving. So rest, everyone eats early in Queensland, whereas Melbourne, Sydney, WA, the states with um, daylight saving are obviously, the restaurants are busier for a lot longer.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true, although we don't have daylight saving in WA either, um... We we we're deprived in that. No, but respect. you get it gets darker a lot later there. Oh yes, it does. That is, that, that that is very true. Um, I just want to take you back a little bit to where you were talking about India uh, and its growing production. Um, now, yeah. traditionally, I guess India had, along with China, have been associated with uh, tea tea growing um, in in, in in a big way. So, what do you think was the motivator um, to move? Well, not to move, but to broaden the uh, beverage market, I guess, from just producing tea to producing coffee as well.
2: Yeah, demand. So tea consumption, you know, is, is I think fourth or fifth drunk beverage in the world. You know, but coffee second. Uh, but what they also found is it was easy to divest from those that were growing tea and then the tea market got saturated. It's easy, it's similar climate and soil content to grow coffee. So a lot of people either switched over from tea to coffee or they started doing both tea and coffee so that was um, probably the biggest reason why these countries emerged because they've got the land um, it's similar um, agricultural needs to grow coffee is what it is tea uh, so that it was easy to divest but it made commercial sense because again I, I can't say this point enough it's all supply and demand
1: yeah I guess that's true um, but one of the other things that was intriguing us was, and maybe you plan to cover it in week four, in which case just tell me to shut up. Um, but <laughs> in, in in the world of tea, we have a lot of ceremonial um, processes that like Japanese tea ceremonies yeah. and so forth. Is there anything like that anywhere in the coffee world? Well, not, not as, well, the
2: ceremonials, yeah, in terms of the Turkish and the Greeks love their brica, which is very power, um, a ground fine coffee, mixed with sugar put on a stove and it boils and then it it settles. Um, you know, quite nice. I don't mind it. I like it. Um, and they do it around a whole ceremony. And I know some of the Arab countries add cinnamon and spices to it. Um, and there's a bit of a ceremony around that. Um, you then got, like I said, the Americans drink a lot of filter coffee. Um, the Asian countries got into all this fancy brewing apparatus, like siphons. You know, they the the um the Asian countries actually brought to life all these different apparatuses on how to extract coffee. Because at the Inday coffee is made up of three elements, and that is pressure, um, volume, and temperature. So three elements on how you change the pressure of extraction. So is it. Gravity fed, which is a drip filter, is a plunger where you're pushing it. Is it a stovetop, or it's you know it's evaporation, or is it an espresso machine? Versus um, then when you start mucking around with the temperature, how hot the water is, and you notice the listeners can test this that you can't actually um, instant coffee won't melt, won't be sol- is not soluble with cold water. You need hot water to actually spark a reaction to melt the the coffee. So. When you start changing those three elements, you start changing um, the flavor profile. So what's happened is that different countries are, is, is still making coffee, but because depending on the way they choose to drink coffee and how they manipulate the temperature and the pressure and the, the volume, they'll end up with a different beverage. So I can take one coffee, say so I can take an Indian coffee, um, you know a, a, a coffee bean that comes from India is roasted, and I can make it across three different apparatuses and it'll taste completely different.
1: Okay, so, um, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this in week four. the The skills around being a a good barista. Um,
2: we'll, yeah, we'll, week we'll four have... it is. <laughs>
1: I can't wait for that. So week one. four,
2: week four, we'll talk about some tips. I'll give the listeners some tips about how it works and um, how to get, you know, they don't need expensive and fancy machinery at home to make with coffee. So I'll cover things like plungers and drip filters and espresso tops. And also what I'm happy if listeners want to send pre-questions in about what, you know, what's the best machine to buy under a thousand dollars or what, you know, if, can I have, if I've got recommendations, I'm happy to cover any of that. So maybe the listeners can send in some questions prior to that okay. um, and you can ask away and I'm um, happy to do that, which will actually make a good final segment.
1: Indeed it will, indeed it will. Well, Philip, uh, once again we're indebted to you for your time and uh, we we, we have loved hearing uh, about the uh, agricultural side of the coffee business, I guess, and some of the history that goes with that and we will now go out with, uh, again, a little bit of the um, coffee from uh, Brazil. Thank you for your time, Philip.
2: Thank you.  ¶
0: Juice ¶ Cause the planters down in Santas all say no, no, no ¶¶¶ A politician's daughter was accused of drinking water ¶¶¶ And was fined a great big $50 bill ¶¶¶ They got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil ¶¶ Need savor. Coffee ketchup gives them flavor. Coffee pickles, we outsell the dill. Why they put coffee in the coffee.